0: Hello, everyone. Editor Joe here. Just wanted to give you a little bit of a heads up about this episode. Um, We were recording, and unfortunately, uh, Matt slash Leyland had a minor family emergency that needed to be attended to. So we only got about 40... nope, I lied. 20 minutes of content um, of actual Alchemist Club adventuring done before he had to take off. And I did not want to have to take over Leolin, especially in the situation that they were in. So, there's 20 minutes, give or take, of Alchemist Club content, and then, because I felt like it might be nice to not have such a short episode, I went ahead and recorded about 40-ish minutes of me answering the party's questions or uh, listener questions about the world and sort of world lore and that sort of thing. So that's kind of tacked on to the end of of the episode there, and I apologize for, you know, about 40 minutes of just listening to me talk, but I figured that might be better than nothing at all or a disappointingly short episode. So that's what's going on with this episode. I hope you enjoy, and uh, have a great day.
1: Terrajux with the uh, overly complex and uh, sordid speech, uh, trying to win over this uh, ant king or queen. He's not really sure yet, but he's trying to respect them and uh, assign them the proper gender roles. We're still trying to figure that out. It's it's not going well. Oh, 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 the ant has started to attack. The ant is now spraying acid all over him. and uh, it's... <laughs>
2: Hope he got his third impalement on his punch card.
3: <laughs> Does being doused in formic acid count as impalement?
1: Oh, those mandibles! Uh, on oh, on a man, cellular level, yes. On a cellular level,
3: so really, it's like I've been impaled billions of times. Yes,
0: billions, yeah. billions, and billions. Get my level, Layla. the unfortunate your... <laughs> thing is that you didn't have your punch card ready, so. <sighs> doesn't count yeah you yeah. have to hold it in front
2: remember but yes you be... have to
3: hold the card in front it's
2: it would just dissolve though
1: so yeah in fact you many lost punches times it got punched before you can impale terror Hyko, you must first create the universe
0: anyway this has been one hell of a cold open uh <laughs> hi just keeping it in <laughs> hi welcome back i was gonna do a whole bit uh, about, like, dearly beloved, we are gathered here today in the sight of God to witness the union of Falrock's fist and an ant's head, but <laughs> I kind of like the other one better, so we're gonna keep that. Uh, <laughs> I'm Joe, I'm your host and your Dungeon Master for another D&D adventure. Uh, joining me here today we have...
1: Daniel, playing Chedfleek, your guide through the stars. Hey all playing
0: Desmond.
2: I'm Zach and I play Fall Rock. I'm Matt and I still, Leland still thinks that these ants are actually the elves.
3: (laughs) I'm Waffle playing the Baron of the Gathering Storm.
0: Uh, We do not have any fan mail, unfortunately, which I'm a little disappointed in because I (laughs) happen to know that Patches was writing in code words. I guess they didn't get around to it in time.
3: Oh, oh, for, yeah. Damn. Um,
0: Next time, I guess. Who wants to give us a recap of what happened last time?
3: We discovered the ship. We discovered the ship is completely petrified end to end. We discovered there are ants aboard the ship that are slowly tearing it apart for reasons unknown. And we decided to investigate the ant hill further. Uh, And Falrock is at the front because Leyland got covered in acid. Well, nope. we
2: brought, we brought, we brought a uh, Ivy down as well to, yeah.
3: uh,
2: help with the investigation because we weren't getting anywhere. Um, all the important places are completely sealed off, especially the, uh, whatever it's called, the in, you know, the important place with the, uh, where all the power is.
4: Um, the missile room.
0: I will also note that these are not ants.
4: No, they're amalgamations of every bad part of every insect, so...
0: (laughs) That's not (laughs) true. They don't have any centipede characteristics. See, they're
4: They're polymorphed
0: (laughs) elves!
2: They've been (laughs) cursed. They've been changed by the hatching. Something.
1: Alright, alright, yeah. here's what we're okay, going to do. Okay, so, then for clarification, how many segments do their bodies have? Five. Seven. Five. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't expecting segments. that, were you? You thought this <laughs> was going to be some kind of sensical creature. That's four more segments than I am equipped to uh, handle.
3: Eight and a half.
1: <laughs> I just want
0: to uh, know if they're good with soy sauce. We'll find you, out. Yeah, you haven't uh, had an opportunity well, to Falrock's
2: all on his own right now, so yep. we're
0: pretty I, we're I went pretty over to check and see where they out. were
4: going. Uh, uh, yeah, and, uh, I believe the. There's a couple big ones that are very, angry at me.
0: The very last thing that happened was that Falrock was being hissed at by a couple of soldier rock biters that were guarding the entrance to the cliff into which they have burrowed.
4: Yep. Yep. And yeah, when they hiss, I'm going to back off.
0: Okay. No, thanks.
4: Cool. Back. Not going there alone. They do not follow you. Okay, cool. I report to the team. Hey guys, uh, found where they're going. There's a cave down there. Uh, and it is guarded. They have bigger ones. Mm. Bigger caves or bigger ants?
0: About, well, bigger
4: rock biters, yeah.
0: <laughs> All of the above. It's the, All right. uh, it's the Texas of mutated insectoids.
3: So let's uh, let's reconvene here. So, Ivy was doing science, but that's gonna take like a week a to get any. Oh, wow.
2: Leland is lab. still camped out with Ivy. He-, he said he would stay with her because he was worried he pissed off the ants and yeah. he didn't want to show his face around them. So, so... he's explaining. He's been explaining his uh, ant elf theory to ivy ad nauseum for the past
1: hour now well there's a very easy way to and ivy's just been vomiting over to do this theory
3: like we just have somebody cast dispel magic on an ant and if they turn back into an elf Leylin was right and if not they're ants
4: doesn't our magic just get sucked back into the myth hall at least while we're on the ship
3: Uh, only if we're on
1: the ship there are ants that are not on the ship
4: it's true. We need to go outside the ship thing and go. Maybe down.
1: the pole is also uh, its strength is relative to your distance from the mythol.
3: Yeah. So I um, I conjure up some sparks again, and I'm I'm gonna test Chet's theory. Basically, in the ship, standing right outside the ship, standing thirty feet away from the ship, uh, trying to see if there's like a effective range of this mythol suck. <laughs>
0: um. It does seem to be a little bit weaker uh, outside and 30 feet away, but there is still a. It is still being pulled. By. Yeah, a fairly noticeable effect. Okay. I'm, it noticeable I mean, we would just pick an ant as far it, away as
3: possible.
2: That's what I was about to say. Like, is it noticeable enough that it's going to just negate the spell?
3: We won't know till we try. Yeah.
0: That's science.
3: Uh, somebody else will have to do it because I don't have to spell magic. I do. But... Pick an an ant, any ant.
1: Pick your favorite ant. Do we want to go further?
3: Yeah, as far away from the tree as possible. Let's uh, go.
1: So
4: we should be careful and not get all the way over to within sight of the cliff cave. But, like, let's get one on its way to the cliff cave and just, like, yo, dispel. Boom.
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh, So we all leave the ship. We circle around. Leyland's stealthing ahead and finding a good... Okay, you,
2: you did. You did come get
3: me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Okay,
4: we Wait, came so to inform you in guys what's Ivy. up.
3: Um, we all reconvene and then we go crowd around and hide in some petrified bushes and watch as Ched readies a mysticism.
0: What, oh. did, what does your dispel magic look like,
1: Ched? Um, it's. I mean, you would. You would think by virtue of it being a spell, that it would look flashy. But it's actually not, because you're actually dispelling magic. You are getting rid of what is flashy, what is bright, what is, you know, cool-looking. So it's it's actually just... Um, it's almost like a silence hushes over the, the target. Um, and it seems to dull. It seems to... Its colors fade... Um, and i I don't know if it's there's any effect on it beyond that, but it's it's more so just going to dull what's around the target in the hopes that it dispel whatever effect is on it
0: okay you uh you dispel the magic and nothing happens
3: okay they're ants
2: good theory. Alleg- allegedly. <laughs>
3: How do really cast a spell yeah. magic? What if they're he's in on it? I'm going to keep calling them ants. I'd like... <laughs> for, the, for the sake of communication. Buggos. I get, that they're, I get that they're not, but I'm going to call them bugs. I'm going to yeah. call them ants. Okay. I'm going to call them whatever I feel right. like.
2: So, uh, do we think that something to get into the ship is in their cave? Like, Is there a reason that we are going to mess with well, them, or... The reason oh,
3: oh. is there's nothing in the ship itself that explains why the ship was petrified. Um, we've sort of explored all our leads, and we come up with dead ends. So the ants are the only other thing on this island,
1: and that's reason enough to investigate, I think. My headcanon is that they are ants with a Z. <laughs>
3: okay. <laughs> No, I can't so... does
1: anybody? No, nobody Nobody remembers that classic mid-90s anime. Uh, oh, yeah, I no, remember like, it. Uh, I yes. uh-huh. okay. should do. Uh, no.
3: Just
2: moved uh, right past it. Absolutely
1: I mean, basic as was, fuck movie. It was hilarious. I mean, the joke, the movie, I'm surprised that nobody burst out laughing. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Our, I'm sure our audience is absolutely on the floor, rolling around. Yes, about. thank you. Thank you, Patches. Thank you. <laughs> that movie radicalized a lot of children. It did.
3: In, <laughs> in the best way possible.
0: I I distinctly remember playing the Nintendo 64 tie-in video game
1: which was not great. All I remember is Sylvester Stallone um his his why why? I mean no. I know he was a celebrity and oh yeah it's really recognizable but Jesus Christ he is an awful voice actor. <laughs> Yep. yeah 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 not not great but i guess you can't uh, hire robin williams for every film in the 90s so i just had a
3: sudden idea um i could turn one of you into an ants <laughs> and you could go explore as one of them
1: like polymorph or illusion yeah. magic yeah
3: polymorph oh what can you <laughs> yeah i have polymorph do you want to become an ants
4: <laughs> no Alright, just keep just <laughs> no, the idea out there. No, thank sure. you. I mean, All right. so oh, it might, it might allow us to classic communicate 90s, with them. If we're talking about classic 90s and early 2000s media, I would like to call everyone's attention back to Animorphs. Where when they tried to disguise themselves and morph into an ant and then go into an enemy ant colony they about got murdered.
3: Well, yeah, but...
1: Oh, just saying.
3: Oh, I have a better oh. idea. Uh,
1: Chad's also scared that if you polymorph him into it, he can't change back like that. That one character who turned <laughs> into
4: a, a hawk or an eagle. Yeah. yeah. Uh, really, really, oh, Animorphs God. did a lot more to radicalize people than <laughs>
3: yeah. God, you're right. Animorphs is a wild series. Um, Anyways. I thought of a better idea. Joe, what is the CR for a giant dire anteater?
0: Um... <laughs> Wait, that's a, a giant dyer or a dire anteater? No, a, I giant... a
3: dire anteater is just like the size of a pony. How amazing of an anteater can I get here? Yeah, um... give me a
1: colossal anteater. follow-up question. Because that's Fall the scale wrong. it would have to be on.
3: Would you like to be turned into a CR-11 anteater?
4: <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> but I'm not necessarily against it.
3: Alright, we'll back pocket First that one.
4: First glance is like I could no, eat no <laughs> I'm could not eat. like <laughs> Uh
3: yeah, could Desmond, me? uh just like say the word and you're an anteater. Like <laughs> we'll make it happen. I will be your mumbo jumbo.
0: <laughs> wow, we are just laying the references on thick tonight, aren't yeah. we?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So we've established these aren't elves. Yep. We need to figure out where these ants are taking petrified chunks of this tree. The answer is they are taking them into the tunnel in the side of the cliff, so we have to go in there to investigate it. Does anyone have any ideas of how we're going to do that or complaints? Ask about this course
4: without connection? trace. Well, they can see us coming.
0: They don't have eyes?
1: They Probably do. They taste do have eyes. The chemicals can... in the air?
3: Uh, can someone cast darkness? no nope, we could
4: still smell us is the
3: Ah, but smell requires a favorable windage, and I decide Ooh. which way the wind blows
4: uh we can just get Teliferous around the side and just go to town. <laughs> yeah although that that would probably destroy whatever's inside if it's close by inside.
3: Well yeah um wait, why are we killing them again? Because we need to find out what's in there. Because it like if we're just they're, sitting around, they're actively here, destroying
4: the petrified ship, so just, they're like, doing something with it.
3: Farting on each other, we're never going to learn anything.
0: <laughs> boy, okay, oh boy. <clears throat> so why don't we get Ched to summon three bears, and we use prestidigitation to make ant pheromones, and they can chase the bears around? Yeah, oh, oh, be like, exactly. I, after having yeah. edited the previous episode today, and then hearing this, I'm going to put my foot down on this whole ant pheromone thing. None of you guys know what a pheromone is. (laughs) None of you, with the possible exception of Ched, would have even the slightest idea how ants communicate. (laughs) So,
2: Ivy, Do you have any ideas how to lure insects out of a nest?
3: She's not an (laughs) etymologist.
0: Oh, Can, Can I make a really clear piece of ice? In the shape of a con- like a convex lens. <laughs> you literally oh. have somebody who can produce this effect from no, the tree yeah. ship. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> more fun this way.
4: <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Look, if we're gonna laser, we should just go back to the ship.
3: Well, okay, we either have to infiltrate with stealth, disguise, I don't or think we are stealthing the ants.
0: I could get to be the front else. half of the ant if we're
2: going to stealth. Because it's a two-person group like, activity. <laughs>
3: uh, I, think, I think base violence is probably our best approach. Does anyone have a complaint about this before we go back to the tree and Falrock creates an opening for us?
2: I mean, I don't know how we can... I mean if we're if we're hoping to investigate what they are doing i just don't know if we're going to be able to
1: i mean if if there's anybody in this group who's going to object it's chad um oh you're i
3: have an even better idea sorry this is
0: escalating. Every every five minutes, TerraJux is going to have an even better idea. No,
3: the, this this idea is fucking awesome. Ched, turn into an Earth Elemental and Earth Glide down there and see what's going on.
0: What if we oh. try
2: to go under and above?
3: It just like Ched,
2: under and up.
3: Elemental Earth Glide Tremor Sense. Yeah, I can, can see, swim. See
1: like everything down there. Just
3: yeah,
4: swim through the land.
3: That's they...
1: super super easy? I mean, is it is it also not just something we can waltz up to? The ant guards will attack us.
3: Oh, right. Okay. That is what um, we are trying to deal with here. So... Because, like, we we don't even know if there's actually, like, a ant nest down there, or if this is some kind of, like, dimensional thing where it bores into the elemental plane of bug snacks. Like... <laughs> We don't know anything, and we need to know something before we make a decision, so...
1: So, Ched... Okay. Ched's like, all right, I got it. Uh, I'll do a little reconnaissance. It's pretty safe. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm literally just going to ret- retreat into the ground, mm-hmm. and I'm not so much as going to even just poke out a stony eye to get a feel for what's going on, and right. and quite sense. literally with tremor sense as well. So... Um, yeah, Chad. He his his feathers start to flake and and uh, sort of just drop off this gray dust as he seems to crumble and then harden. And also, um, his his beak elongates um, and he gets pretty pretty surprisingly wide given his form before he <laughs> he becomes uh, what is essentially a, a giant kingfisher. In, uh, in earth elemental form and dives into uh, the ground to do some reconnaissance
0: that's really cool <laughs> okay this is very exciting um, as soon as you slip into the earth it is like you are caught in a riptide um, there is some force that is pulling the very essence of your being down into the tree ship and towards the Mythol, and it's pulling oh, me
1: against my will. Very much so. Yes,
0: Unless, I mean, if you want can to I, be sucked oh, into I mean, the Mythol yes. and subsumed, you are.
1: <laughs> I, sorry, what I what I meant to say is, can uh, can I fight it, or is it like oh, yeah, is it an these. absolute pull that I can't?
0: Huh? You can you can absolutely fight it. And make a
1: strength check. Oh, okay. Well, what's my? Hang on. Ooh, I've got 20 strength right now. Let's no. go. Um, yeah, I'm Rock. Do I get any kind of... He doesn't have arms. He's a kingfisher. I guess I don't <laughs> have a proficiency bonus. I just have to roll with my strength modifier. So 17. Uh,
0: okay. 17 um, will get you part of the way out of the ground. And unfortunately and I deeply apologize for this dear audience. We are going to have to stop as, uh, Leyland has had something of a mild emergency that needs to be attended to. Um, yeah, I think we're going to leave the episode there. We might record something. I might record something like a mini DM corner to attach to the end of this episode to pad out the length a little bit. Um, very unexpected, I deeply apologize, uh, but we'll make it up to you somehow, I do promise. So, an abrupt, an abrupt end to our adventures, Ched, literally sticking half out of the ground as he is nearly devoured by something uh, in the mythol chamber of another tree ship. Uh, right. All the usual things. If you want to get in touch with us, you know the email addresses. You know where to find us. You know our socials by this point. Hopefully our intrepid adventures
1: today were uh, uh, Daniel Kingfisher Chetfleek.
4: Hey y'all, playing Desmond. I'm Zach and I play Falrock.
1: I'm Matt and I play Ellen.
0: Also playing Tar-Jucks. Uh Thanks for joining us and sorry for the abrupt, uh, abrupt and shortcut episode. Uh, we will see you next time. Hello friends, it's me, DM Joe. I'm uh here to fill out the remaining time for this episode, I'm sorry that we had to cut it short. Uh, Editor Joe probably got you at the very beginning to let you know exactly what was going on, so I'm just gonna kind of jump right into things here. I reached out to several people who listen to the podcast and who I know personally, which is most of our audience, if I'm correct. Maybe we've gotten bigger. I haven't actually checked the uh, analytics in a while, but the episode ended and I was like, you know what? I think it'd be fun to uh, just talk a little bit about the world and maybe answer any, well, any lingering questions is what I was going to say, but I'm sure people have a few questions that aren't really lingering because we've never really done anything like this. So, I asked uh, the party themselves and and several people who listen, and have compiled here a list of questions just about Oris in general, and the world that I've built, and I'm going to take this opportunity to uh, brag about it a little bit. So um, I have a fairly comprehensive list, I don't know if I'll get to all of them. or indeed whether or not all of the questions will be answered completely or satisfactorily or at all. But I will try to provide some, some new information about the world of the Alchemist Club. The very first item on the list is Animal Facts, talking about different animals on Oris that might be different or unusual compared to what we're used to specifically Animals of the Sky, because this was, of course, submitted by Waffle, slash terrorjacks. Um And for this, I'll, I'll just say that skyfish are absolutely a thing. Um, there are there are fish that just kind of live out in the, the yawning abyss that makes up a good chunk of the world. Some of them live down in the cloud, um, and they are very similar to normal fish. They just kind of form schools and predate... And essentially, think of an ocean ecosystem, but transposed into air. I will drop a fun little tidbit, which is that there is a equivalent of the Great Barrier Reef floating around out in the sky somewhere. And it's beautiful. And we'll see how many members of the party actually listen to this and uh, pick up on that. Um, people... Party, the, this first batch is all basically from the party, um, inquiring about gnomish history, how Hopstenopoulos kind of got to where it was. And I think I can go through that without really spoiling anything super important, because they could have found all this out if they had thought to ask while they were there. Party, um, when the gods informed the world that the hatching was coming and that they needed to kind of get things together in order to survive, the gnomes sent their best spellcasters to assist with the creation of the anchor, and sent their best engineers to find a way to preserve gnomish culture. And what happened is that gnomes who weren't directly involved in the anchor efforts migrated to two neighboring cities, Hops and Tanopolis, which were sort of turned into research centers. And well, one of them, Hops, was turned into a research center and Tanopolis was essentially formed into a large kind of refugee camp for populations that were unable to actually work on the big project that was going to take place. And what the gnomes ended up doing was they, through minor magics, but mostly engineering, um, and the creation of sustainable portals for the generators, obviously. Obviously, I say. Um, Essentially, managed to, one, conjoin the cities. Uh, This is a fun fact that Actually, you know what, I'm not going to say it because it might make for a neat reveal later. Uh, conjoined the cities and formed them into the Hopstonopolis that we know and love today. And essentially gathered the entire population of gnomes that were able to make the journey into one spot. And lifted the whole thing off and flew it away before the hatching so as to avoid like losing land to to the hatching or the anchor. They didn't want to risk the tethers not working, so they figured that they could um, situate things such that when the hatching occurred, they would be safe and everybody in the cities would be safe, regardless of whether or not the anchor project succeeded. Um, so that's there's a fun tidbit. Uh, what's next? Questions about... Dragonkin and Dragonborn Origins which is, um, uh, not too, not too, un, uh, different, I guess. Well, actually, I don't know. Now that I'm thinking about it, I don't remember exactly how things work in, like, the standard quote-unquote D&D setting, but Dragonkin and Dragonborn are descended from a time where dragons were more prevalent around the world, and metallic dragons in particular, um, it was not uncommon for them to take non-dragon spouses and bloodlines diluted over the centuries. Um, so they'd have kids, half-dragons, half-dragons would have kids, um, and so on and so forth. So half-dragons do exist in the world, um, mostly on the dragon claw archipelago, which I might talk about a little bit more further on. But essentially, anybody who, any dragonborn or people with draconic um, sort of features can trace at least one dragon in their family tree. So there's that. Notable figures in history. Goodness. Um, We're going to skip that one and come back to it in a second because I have to dig out my world notes, which would have been a really smart thing to do before I started recording, but I am not renowned for my foresight. The next question is about lycanthropy and how that manifests in Oros, and um, it's fairly standard. Uh, lycanthropy is a, is a curse that afflicts people who are bitten by people who already have it. Uh, you can find the usual selection of rare animals and maybe some that you were not expecting, but I'm not going to get into that in case they ever show up, and I want to uh, really punch home uh, something different or unusual. But mechanically, functionally, it is identical to how it presents in the Monster Manual. Um, So... In terms of how the lycanthropy is started, um, nobody's really sure. Uh, some speculate that it's divine in nature, that the, uh, the first werewolf or were-rat or were or whatever was somebody who really pissed off a god. Others believe that it's a magical affliction. I mean, that it was started by magic. Uh, obviously it is magical in nature. Um, some people think that it is the end result of tribes that messed around with uh, shape-shifting and something went wrong. So, nobody's really entirely sure there. As for historical figures, I could give you a list of, like, the kings and queens of Valdrax. Uh, For the Empire of Jax, super easy once the Empire was founded, because you've got Jux the First, you've got Jux the Second, you've got Jux the Third. Um, Very straightforward naming scheme there. Um, I guess a little bit about this is that um, about a hundred years after the hatching, um, the city... Of, well not the city the kingdom of aldrax which survived the hatching more or less intact which is something that um somebody else asked further down about political structure and pre-hatching nations versus nations that arose after the hatching <clears throat> the kingdom of aldrax survived the hatching more or less intact which is one of the reasons that they are so smug and superior because they have existed as a, as a nation-state longer than anybody else on the continent. And they have frequently throughout history uh, attempted to leverage that um, sort of smugness to be like, we should be in charge of the whole continent because we've been here the longest. Uh, and they frequently did, wa- did that. That is, in fact, one of the re- things that led to the formation of the Empire of Jux. Um, The original Jux, the very first Jux, was a leader in a military alliance against Aldrax the very first time they tried to take over the continent, about 100 years after the hatching. Um, He did super well, unified various scattered human nation-states and tribes that were sort of subsisting in the area where Jux now stands. Um, and for his success and cowing the the armies of Aldrax, he was essentially elected king of a new kingdom that occupied the territory that, um, Jux now occupies. And because he was also helping out dwarves, um, who were highly threatened by Aldrax at the time, uh, They set up quarries in the nearby mountains, found rich seams of black marble, which are what are responsible for the fact that Jux is a city carved from black marble. Uh, The foundations of the city of Jux are dwarven in nature. Um, And I could go through the original... So King Jux I, it was originally a kingdom, he died a little while later. Uh, there was some infighting among his children, and uh, his youngest daughter killed her brothers, became Queen the I of Jux, um, and then it undergoes a period of rapid, destabilized, like, a bunch of leaders are killed or usurped or exiled, um, and then Aldrax sees as an opportunity to invade. There's a whole bunch of other stuff. Eventually, the Kingdom of Jux after nearly a century of like political instability and backstabbing, murder, etc., the royal line is exhausted, um, and the kingdom gets divided up among a bunch of generals. And within five years, uh, somebody comes along and is like, "Hey, I'm a direct descendant of Jux the First. He, you know, the bloodline was lost for a bit. Uh, his oldest son had a secret wife, etc., etc." Um, and he campaigns to form a unified juxes manages to convince a couple of the rulers of what are now the juxon fiefdoms um, and he manages to essentially take the troops that he gathered to war defeat the other half of the people who are opposed to him trying to reunify the kingdom uh, he declares this new area, the Empire of Jux, and is crowned Jux II, um, and essentially turns the Empire into sort of what it is in the present day. And then there are a series of Juxes and Juxanas, Juxanas, that um, sort of steward the Empire through, through history. Uh, Jux II is the legendary leader upon whom most Juxan culture is now based. Um, Jux I is sort of revered as a hero, but Jux II is the focus of Juxan nationalism. Other historical figures. The Abbey of the Eversea, very important to, um, to history on the continent, because the Eversea is the source of all fresh water as it stands. Um, So it's a very contentious place. There have been a lot of sieges of the Eversea where various work tribes or Aldrax try to take over control of the Eversea uh, from the Abbey so that they can control the supply of fresh water. Um, This does not often go very well. Um, What else? Who else can I bring up here? long period, the silence of the mountain home. What else? There is a planar renaissance about 500 years after the hatching, when when the hatching occurred Orus and the prime material kind of got cut off from the multiverse at large, which is something else that I'll be talking about in a bit here. Um, connections get reestablished over the course of about 150 years. Um lots of interplanetary, interplanar not interplanetary, that's a different thing, Interplanar travel, uh, and this is where we get tieflings and Asimar and Genazi beginning to appear. Uh, along with incursions from the Feywilds and the lower plains, so the Nine Hells and the Abyss, um, there's the whole crystal virus in the Dragonglass Desert, which you guys should know a little bit about at this point i don't know if there's any really anybody else um super important in terms of historical figures and i've just been rambling on about the political history of the continent for like 10 minutes so i'm gonna stop there i have a fair bit more history if anybody's interested in it please do write in I would love to answer questions about the world, etc. If you have any follow-up questions from this little segment, I would adore answering them. So please feel free to write in with questions, follow-ups, etc., etc. What do we have next on the list? What do people remember about the hatching? Memories of the hatching? Not much. Um, how How it worked was the spellcasters responsible for creating the anchor were essentially left on the surface to perform their work, and as many other people as possible were crammed into magically secured shelters um, on portions of the world that were thought to be stable enough that they would not crack or break, or that they would um, be picked up by the anchor as it was formed. So the vast majority of people at the time of the hatching, would not have been able to see it. They would have been inside one of these bunkers. Um, Of the spellcasters who created the anchor, uh, as far as history knows, none of them survived. As far as history knows, very few people who were on the surface at the time of the hatching survived because it was a very tumultuous event. There was a lot of, you know, um, lava and big chunks of land breaking and falling away and Things crashing into each other, and also a giant extraplanar entity emerging from beneath the crust of the planet. Uh, So nobody really has memories of the hatching, up to and including uh, any elves that might have been alive at the time. So whether or not any people with memories exist is up for debate. Um, If they do, they are being quiet about it and not really... Not really talking. Maybe the party could go find someone. National cuisine and the Aldraxian equivalent of the hamburger. This was also submitted by Waffle slash Um, I don't know that Aldrax really has anything it considers a national cuisine. Its diet tends toward more um, grain-based Dishes. They have a lot of wheat fields in Aldrax. Um, Jux obviously pioneered the Juxberry, which is started as, as a dumb one off joke, but I've, I kind of love the idea that there's like the Juxberry industry, big Juxberry, that pushes it like high fructose corn syrup isn't everything, you know, in the real world. So I'm going to go with that. I'm going to say that the juxberry is kind of the staple of Juxon cuisine, much in the same way that corn is very popular in American dishes in some form or another. Um, I don't know what else I have to say about that. I'm honestly not necessarily feeling creative enough to really come up with uh, a bunch of national dishes for the various nation-states, so maybe I'll come back to that later. Uh, World history we kind of covered already. I got a fair few people asking about the gods, which is kind of a touchy subject, as you might have guessed. Um, They're a little bit, you know, plot-relevant lot of uh spoilery details there so i'm not sure that i'm going to get into them too much i uh had a couple people ask i had patches outright be like hey what can you tell me about the gods what can you tell me about the vault of the gods what can you tell me about of you know how long have these gods been in power these are things that i cannot reveal for they are deep mysteries and probably relevant to the plot if if you haven't been picking up on those those threads that have been appearing throughout the, uh, the podcast. Um, I will tell you that the Vault of Gods is very old. And that the five gods that are currently in power have been in power for a long time. Uh, long enough that nobody in the party has ever heard of any references to gods other than them. Even in very old records that they might have seen at the Hall of Mysteries. Let's see. Typical D&D races that don't exist or have gone extinct in the world. Uh, I think if you look hard enough on Oros, you'll find just about anything you can find in the Player's Handbook or the Monster Manual, or any of the various supplements. Uh, Warforged are... If they do exist, I don't know where they live yet. I have not. I have not developed a space for Warforged. They might make an appearance later, but I don't think they will. Um, the easy answer would be to put them in association with the gnomes, but I don't really want to do that. I feel like that would kind of end up being a a um, Geth and Quarian situation from Mass Effect. And I don't really feel like taking things in that direction, so no Warforged, really. That I'm that I'm aware of. I don't think they've shown up at all in the podcast. Um, the others, I I bet if you look hard enough, you'll find them somewhere. Are there earthquakes? Yes, there are earthquakes. Uh, they are called Terranquakes. and the. General belief is that they occur when the god of Earth, Terran, is having a bad day or is angry at something. Are there any other important land masses? Yes. How is Arclay doing? Fine. Um, business has slowed down a little bit with the uh, the diving competition after... What happened during the Arclay incident? Um, so, it's fine. Maybe the party will go back someday and see the impact that they had on this poor fishing village. Let's see. Land masses. Are there any land masses that support oceans? Is there any salt water? What happens to water that flows over the edge? This batch is from patches. Um, uh, land masses that support oceans? Yes. Is there salt water? Yes. What happens to water that flows over the edges? It goes down into the anchor. Um, or perhaps beyond the anchor. Who knows? Who knows what's at the center? Terajax does. Is he telling the truth? Shrug. Um, common folk tales and lore that the party would know. I'm not sure that I'm up to making up anything in particular for this. I don't have anything super prepared for it at the moment, um, other than a couple of things. This was, uh, Zach actually put this forward, um, thinking about like Midwinter's Eve and the Claws of Winter and how their characters knew about those things, but the players did not. I have a few things here uh, one of which is Tanwick 3wands who has been mentioned before in the podcast uh very early on um who is a a famous uh sort of legendary hero figure who had the eponymous 3wands that he got um on a quest to enact vengeance for the loss of his wife um taken from her by an evil taken from him by an evil sorcerer And he has his three wands, the wand of oak and amber, that that he uses on people who assist him in his quest, uh, the wand of iron and glass that he uses to move obstacles to his quest, and the wand of bone and jet that he uses on people who actively oppose him on his quest. Um, Lots of quote-unquote fairy tales... Uh, that either survived from before the hatching or after connection was reestablished with the Feywild. Um, Things that you would expect, like leave milk out for the fairies, or, um, you know, cold iron, and never give them your name kind of things. There are some stories that vary from place to place about the two moons of Oris, the, the Wandering Eye and the Unblinking Eye um where they came from what their purpose is why the wandering eye wanders um that sort of thing but unfortunately i don't i didn't really have time to come up with any in-depth fairy tale folklore sorts of things that the party might know um which doesn't mean that things won't appear in the future but i'd be happy to answer more questions or take suggestions i'm always looking for You know, a good story. Um, How does my cosmology compare to the typical D&D cosmology? For those of you who don't know, um, there's kind of an established cosmology for Dungeons & Dragons, which is that you have the prime material plane, which is Earth, quote-unquote, the most Earth-like of the planes, Um, suspended in the... Uh, Astral Sea, or the Astral Plane, which is kind of like one plane that encompasses all of the other planes of existence. Um, It touches all of them. Adjacent to the Prime Material is the Feywild, and the Plane of Shadows, or the Shadowfell. And then you have the Inner Planes, which are the four elemental planes And I don't remember if 5th edition does positive and negative energy. In 3.5, there were 6 inner planes. Earth, fire, water, air, positive energy, and negative energy. I kind of like that, so I I keep that in most of my homebrew stuff. And then you have the 20-some-odd... 21? 27? Now I have to look this up. D&D Cosmology Wheel. It's arranged like a big wheel. Um, And I highly recommend looking at pictures because it's just kind of neat. It's just kind of neat to see. Called the Great Wheel. Um, Outer planes. I was mistaken, there are 16. Um, And these occupy sort of they're they're all aligned so they're aligned. you know they correspond to different alignments in in the old rules they're kind of their own thing now in 5th edition i think but like you've got the plane that is associated with being lawful good and that's where the lawful good gods reside um, neutral good chaotic good etc etc and then you have a few quote unquote other um I haven't given a whole lot of thought to- oh, and the Ethereal Plane, uh, which also overlaps with the Material Plane, and it's kind of the realm of ghosts. Um, my cosmology doesn't follow this exactly. I have, obviously, the six Inner Planes, and the Astral Sea, and the Feywild and the Shadowfell. I'm actually looking at an old cosmology. It's fine. Um. Obviously, all of those exist. The outer planes, I think, aren't they don't have quite as big a role in my cosmology because one of the big, the big uh, sort of factors for the outer planes is that that's where the gods live. And we, I I can tell you that um, they are not as important to the cosmology or religion um, of Oris. So, some similarities, some differences. Happy to go into more depth about that uh, if you want, but I'm trying to pick things up because I've been rambling for 30-some minutes now. Uh, political structure derived from pre-hatching nations, or did new nations form post-hatching? Aldrax is the only nation on the continent that existed before the hatching. All of the others, uh, the mountain home, Jux, Sildall, um those all came into being post-hatching. Some of them relatively frequently the elves uh kind of moved into the forest of Sildal pretty fast after the hatching and were like this is ours nobody come near it etc etc um frequency of mountain ranges on oris uh so here's here's the thing that is going to answer or deal with a couple of other questions that come up later like how is the climate determined and is it stable anywhere uh that sort of thing a lot of the land masses have their shapes and climates maintained by the gods. This is the thing that the gods do is they ensure that the, um, the state of the world is kind of livable. So continents are protected by Terran's power so that when they crash into each other they don't like lose massive chunks of land um and it also kind of lessens the blow of two land masses running into each other so mountains mountains that do exist either existed before the hatching or they were sculpted into place by the gods after the fact there isn't much in the way of um like tectonic mountain Hmm. orogenesis that's a really good word uh, going on on orus And climates are kind of determined the same way. Um, so the gods basically assigned climates to various land masses and maintain them through divine power. Which is why the entire continent of Aldraxia experiences the same seasons at the same times despite the fact that it covers a fairly wide like longitude-latitude spread. Um, And its climate is also in no way way related to where it is on the the face of the planet. Uh, Are the tethers that bind landmasses to the anchor physical or magical? They are magical. You can pass through them. I would not recommend doing so. Um, The magical energy that they... Produce and are made of has a tendency to scramble both the people and whatever devices they happen to be flying on uh, pretty badly. The gnomes lost a, quite a few ornithopters trying to investigate them. Um, what else do we have? How thick are the land masses if they can hold something like the Ever uh, and they can go way underground? But you can also fly under them. They are a variable thickness, Um, they are, they can be miles thick in places and in others um, a couple hundred feet, which makes mining operations very dangerous. The dwarves have to be very careful when they are expanding their settlements. So, variable thickness, they are all suspended a couple miles above the anchor cloud. Which is why flying under them typically isn't a problem. Like, the lowest part of the landmass is typically a couple miles above the anchor, although there are some places where they get real close and touch, as we have seen before in the podcast. Uh, somebody asked about fresh water and where that comes from. That's the Ever Sea, which is, um, depending on who you ask, supplied by a portal, a large portal to the elemental plane of water, or directly by Aquila. Um, It is called the Eversea because it never dries up, despite the fact that it has no um, mundane source of water. There's no spring feeding it. Um, It is supported entirely by magical means. Uh, What does everyday religion look like? This is a good question. Um, The person who wrote in was like, you know there's not much talk of religion other than the true church and Desmond's toxic relationship with Aquila and it's like thank you thank you for pointing this out like considering that we have a cleric who communes fairly frequently with his goddess in the party and an organization called the true church is the main antagonist very few questions about how religion works in this world from from the party members um the gods are typically. Most people have a god in particular of the five that they that they worship, um, while paying small service to the other four. And this is fine. The gods aren't particularly jealous. They don't have to be. Uh, they made sure that they were the only worshipable worshipable beings uh, around. Um, Each god has a different day of the week that's kind of dedicated to them, and temples will have services for more formal uh, services for their particular god on those days. Um, In bigger cities, it's not uncommon for people to pay a small tithe, which I realize a small tithe goes against the technical definition of the word, but you know what I mean. Um, Small donation to the temples as part of their taxes, essentially. Um, And clerics of the five gods are generally pretty active in their various communities, healing people, curing diseases, um, mending objects, and trying to make sure that people's spiritual needs are met. Um, The afterlife, uh, there's kind of a, a generic one that's like, yeah, if you're a good person, you you go and uh, you're in a happy place where everything is taken care of for you. And if you're a bad person, the gods trade your souls to the devils of the Nine Hells. If you're really extra bad, you get thrown into the Abyss after you die. Um, more devout people for each of the five gods. There's kind of a personalized afterlife for them. So, you know, floating floating in the... Uh, Warm embrace of Aquila's endless ocean kind of thing um so it's a it's a fairly common day to day thing um Atheists are rare because there is literal tangible evidence of the gods um but you do occasionally get people who don't feel called to worship any of them um and they're they're fine um the gods aren't again particularly upset by that because everybody knows that they exist. I think that's all I'm going to say about that for now. Um, because I've been rambling for almost 40 minutes. So this has been a little bit of a, a lore dump, or just me talking at you about the, the fancy world that I made. Um, I'm pretty proud of it. It's it's one of my better settings, I think. Um, so I'm happy to kind of brag about it. but. Hopefully this wasn't too boring to listen to, hopefully it uh, sort of makes up for the the lack of actual Alchemist Club content this week. Um, I would be happy to do one of these again, if if that is desired, or just to answer questions that people might have as they write in. Um, so yeah, I've been Joe, your host and Dungeon Master, for not a D&D adventure, just me rambling about the world that I made. Um, And you already heard sort of the the sign-off for the Alchemist Club proper before, so I'm just going to say have a great day. Take care of yourself. Drink some water. Be kind. And uh, I'll see you next week.